Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, chomping on the bit and ready to run like Secretariat, here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing? Good, my friend. Good. It's a little rainy out there. It's going to slow down the grain harvest a little. Raining? Yeah, just a little. Really? Not bad. I yeah. didn't notice that. Yeah, outside. just a little. Probably slow down the grain harvest we had a, a little. Big fire right here on the yeah. foothills this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you have been wanting me to talk about something local. So today we're going to talk about Chief Pocatello. Now, for our listeners, Zeb and I are pretty much right smack dab in the middle of South Central Idaho. Right. That's where we live. In the center. In the center. And so the area we're going to be talking about is a little to the east of us. There's a town in Idaho called Pocatello. Yep. And that's going to be uh, what we're going to be talking about. Okay? okay. Named after the illustrious chief. Chief Pocatello. What tribe? Well, I'm going to tell you. Oh. Well, excuse me. <laughs> well, you went right into my next okay. thought. Now, uh, he was a Shoshone. But here's the thing, Zeb. There were uh, the Western Shoshone, the Bruno Shoshone, the Boise Shoshone, Lemhi, Fort Hall Shoshone, Northwestern Shoshone, and Eastern. All of these were Shoshone tribes, but in their areas. When they sent out a smoke signal... Did yeah. they get a wrong answer? <laughs> well, you know, if your last name was Shoshone, you might. I don't know. But, you know, to get started here, we're going to start with Chief Pocatello's mother. Oh, All right? Okay. There's a whole story about All her. Right. Right. So we'll begin with his mother. Now, she was a member of the small Grouse Creek Band of Northwestern Shoshone. So Grouse Creek, uh, homeland near, uh, near the City of Rocks. So, again, kind of east and south of us where we're at right now. Right. And, of course, City of Rocks was kind of a, that's where the California Trail went through. Right, right. And kind of a scary place for the travelers. And it's kind of on the Utah-Idaho border. But the story of her capture and escape involving a Plains Indian War Party has kind of become a legend of the Fort Hall Indian Reservation. So, here we go. A raiding party of seven Assiniboine warriors on foot attacked a small group of the northwestern Shoshone on the Raft River, among whom was Pocatello's mother. Now, her name, I'm going to hopefully pronounce this right, is Witsabu, okay. I believe. Okay. And that stands for Cunning Eye. Okay? Witsabu. Witsabu. In the spring of the year, sometime in the early 19th century, Witsabu and her two-year-old daughter with her, and she was, at this time, she was expecting. She was pregnant. Now, this was, uh, she was going to have this baby this, uh, in the fall, so a few months out. Well, these Assiniboine warriors awarded Witsabu to one of the young warriors as a wife, and uh, they headed back to their, uh, on their journey, and they uh, finally reached a larger Assiniboine camp where they displayed the scalps taken in the raid, including that of the brother of Witsabu, and she was forced to watch a scalp dance in honor of the victorious warriors. Hmm. Now, to ensure that his new Shoshone wife would not escape, each night during the travel to the plains uh, of Montana, the husband tied her to him with a buckskin rope attached to his legs so she couldn't sneak away. Now, this was her husband or her assumed husband? Assumed husband, the one she was given to as a reward. And she is with child at this time. Yes, and has a two-year-old. Oh, my. Now, 
when the party reached their home country, this is clear up in northeastern Montana. That's a long ways. Yes, it is. Witzabu discovered that her husband, her new husband, had another wife. She soon learned from another Shoshone woman that her husband's first wife was jealous and intended to kill her. So Witzabu therefore began planning an escape, and each day as she went out from the camp with the first wife's daughter to gather firewood, while the child was searching for sticks, Witzabu began kind of digging out a hole underneath a riverbank, and it could only be reached by swimming underwater, and little by little, she provisioned this kind of hole or little tiny cave with dried meat, okay? So... On a day when her husband was away, hunt, uh, was away hunting, Witsabu went out from camp for the usual supply of wood accompanied by this little girl. And Witsabu hit the little girl on the head to knock her down so she couldn't be followed. And she hid for three days while search parties were all around her. She finally left her hiding place the third evening and traveling only at night, she headed for the Raft River. Now keep in mind, they're up in northeastern Montana. Yeah. And she's headed back here. Headed back down here. Yeah. And she, pardon me for asking, but what about the two-year-old? Sad thing there. The Indians had killed her two-year-old. Really? Yeah. And, but she still is with child. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, by now she was traveling only at night. She headed for the Raft River. Her food soon gave out. She was tired. She was weak. And again, she was pregnant. Oh, my goodness. Just rough. But she came upon the burial site of an Assiniboine warrior. Now, you know, they, they buried them with the knife, bow and arrows, some dried meat, a piece of a buffalo robe, and so she took all this. She, and she left uh, all, uh, with all this stuff that she'd taken from the gravesite. So, anyway, uh, basically she was saved by finding this, and now she was approaching the mountains, and she began, began traveling by so day. she's coming down through yeah. which area? Probably? Well, by now she's north, probably down into the Wyoming area, I I'm going to guess. Over and, by uh, Evanston, et cetera? Yeah, and down, headed towards Raft River. Okay. You know, so probably through Jackson Hole area. And she's I'm walking. Guess. Yeah, Holy she's walking. Smokes. Anyway, uh, finally, she reached the Raft River area, and Witsabu was taken in by an old couple who had stayed behind at the winter camp while the rest of the northwestern Shoshone band had gone off on a hunting expedition. Well, they directed her to the main camp where she was met with great joy by her mother, her father, and her husband. Now, sometimes if the wife is gone, the husband will remarry. But he had not remarried, hoping that somehow she would still be alive. Holy smoke. So, Witsabu soon gave birth to a male child who came to be known as Pocatello. Uh-huh. Now, that may not be the truth. Oh, really? Uh, the truth. There, you had me just like a fish <laughs> ready I, to bite the hook, and now you... What are I, you doing to me? Okay, I'm pulling the hook back. The truth is a little less romantic, okay? What really occurred was the birth of a daughter, but Pocatello was not born until three or four years after his mother's kidnapping. Okay, so there's kind of a little gray area there. So you're telling me whatever I heard in the last nine minutes, disregard because <laughs> disregard. it's all phony. That's right. Phony, but, fake news, but, fake news. Okay, but keep this in mind. 600-mile journey across the plains of Montana. That's true, though. Over the Continental Divide. Okay. And did not keep her from her family and her homeland on Grouse Creek. But And think of this. The courage, the fortitude, the determination that she displayed would doubtless be passed on to her son to be born in a few years. Let me ask you this. If all of a sudden you, Dr. Ken Turner, Dr. History, were dumped over by Miles City, Montana, southeastern Montana, 
and told to come back home uh, without any modern conveniences, no maps, nothing, no GPS. Where do you think you'd end up there, Chief? Uh, probably in Chicago or <laughs> I don't Canada. I don't know. You know, uh, you know. I watch some of these uh, survival shows, and and they're pretty amazing. But I think oh, I don't know if I could do that. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It is. So now we're going to get to Chief Pocatello. Okay. All right. Now Chief Pocatello was leader of the Lemhi Shoshone Indians that roamed Idaho's kind of the Salmon River Mountains and the surrounding areas, and there were they were part of a large larger Shoshone nation, which some called the fiercest and the most bloodthirsty. And the Shoshone did indeed attack and kill white settlers and travelers, mostly along the Oregon Trail and the California Trail, which, as I mentioned, goes through uh, the city of Rocks down that way. But the Indian tribes who lived traditionally on lands that were being invaded by the whites, of course, we've talked about this before, they resented the loss of their lands and their sources of food. I mean, the buffalo, the elk, the deer. You know, but uh, the Shoshones attacked a relatively small number of the immigrants for encroaching on their lands. But, you know, retaliation was, that was part of their life, you know. But Pocatello's band was just one, as I mentioned, of the many Native American tribes that witnessed uh, the competing cultures. Here you got these white people, these coming across with a whole different culture. Uh, so, anyway, to combat the violence in the Great Basin during the 1860s, the U.S. government sent Colonel Patrick Edward Connor, and you've heard his name, and his California volunteers to, quote, chastise the Indians. Yeah, chastise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, October... Man. Yes. So, October 31st, 1860, Colonel Connor executed 14 or 15 Indians for attacking a wagon train. Oh, man. Uh, additional Indians were taken hostage and killed when they refused to uh, produce those that were involved in the attack. Uh, Connor was... Uh, I have mixed feelings about this guy, but, and you'll see why. But in 1863, Connor's, quote, chastised policy resulted in the worst massacre of Indians in American history at Bear River. Uh, and you've heard of that one. Yes. In the Cache Valley yes. in southern Idaho. Yeah. That was a, a terrible... And term. he's the one that led that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, Chief Pocatello and his band of some 150 warriors escaped Bear River, having left the day before, getting wind of Connor's uh, assault. Now, although the Shoshones under Pocatello's lead did not terrorize settlers and immigrants a lot... Connor eventually caught the chief and said if found guilty at trial, he would hang him. Well, the Indians were upset and headed for the mountains to prepare for war. But the station owner, uh, stagecoach station owner, pleaded that charges be dropped and Pocatello be released. Because hmm. a lot of them knew that Pocatello was, was a pretty good guy, really. Right. Now, Commissioner of Indian Affairs, a guy by the name of William Dole, didn't know about the release and informed the Secretary of Interior, John Usher, of Connor's intentions. So this went up the line of authority quite a ways and, in fact, reached President Lincoln's ear, and he immediately pardoned Chief Pocatello. So it went that far to release and pardon Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. 
Tell Let me ask you a quick question here. And okay. in those days, we're talking the 1860s. Yeah. We're talking about minuscule ways of communication. Sure. It must have taken a long time. Right. And I can't imagine how quickly that or slowly that had to get oh, back to, yeah. to President Lincoln. Yeah. So anyway, with a heavy heart, Pocatello agreed to move his people to Fort Hall Reservation. Uh, but that then the 1.8 million acre reservation actually was pretty big, but it was already starting to be overcrowded. His band of 400 kind of added to the problem. So the chief moved them to a place called Bannock Creek, which is still over by the Pocatello area. And it was kind of away from some of the other Shoshone tribes or sub-tribes. Well, the government wa- government wanted these nomadic Indians to be farmers. You know, they tried that several times, yeah, yeah. like down in Arizona and yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. You just can't take a, an Indian that's been used to roaming and hunting, Absolutely fishing, not. and make him a farmer. Absolutely not. So, anyway, the reservation land was in- inadequate for that purpose. And so, to avoid starvation, Chief Pocatello led a small band to a uh, farm in Utah. And many of the settlers uh, uh, were not pleased with this and wanted the Indians removed. Uh, the ultimate, ultimately, they got their way when the army forced them back onto the reservation. But see, they thought that they could go to some of these settlers and get food. They were hungry. Yeah. Were there any altercations between the Indians and the settlers at that time? Some. Or did they primarily aim their ire at the government? Mostly the government, because a lot of the settlers helped the Indians. Yeah. And uh, the Indians knew this, so... But there were some renegade Indians that would still go out and kill some of the white settlers. But more and more, the Indians were depending on handouts. No longer could they survive on their own. And you've seen that in reservation after reservation. They get too much, and unfortunately, they don't survive right, so right. and the class of the cultures so from 1862 or 1868 to 1932 the fort hall reservation size was gradually reduced by two-thirds due to the white men uh their encroachment and government uh lands now yesterday i drove over to pocatello to uh, for my granddaughter's birthday and as you know as you drive along the freeway there's a sign that says entering fort hall indian reservation right, right. and leaving and so, for my listeners, I want you to understand that you may picture a reservation as being sagebrush and dirt and and uh, sand, and it, a lot of it is, but yet a lot of it, too, has been rented out to farmers, and there are some magnificent farms over on the Absolutely. Fort Hall Indian Reservation. Let me ask you, uh, you see the signs that say to the east and the west entering the Fort Hall. What about to the north and the south? What are the boundaries? You know, I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I think it's still a pretty good-sized reservation. Yeah. Yeah. And the Indians have done very well, I think, by renting out the farm ground. They have a, an, a huge casino and hotel over there, you know. Yeah. So the Fort Hall Indian Reservation really is, a, I think, been well done, really, by, by those that are in authority there. Anyway, in the final years, you know, Chief Pocatello, he withdrew from tribal affairs and lived the rest of his life basically an unhappy man, and in 1884 he died. Now, following his instructions, his body, accompanied by his prized possessions, was dropped into a deep spring by the Snake River in southern Idaho. Uh, 
Well, I skipped a whole page, Zeb. How did I do that? <laughs> well, you know, really, I give you credit that you keep track of everything the way you do, but uh, uh, well, the I... look on your face when you went from, like, page three to page nine. <laughs> How did I do that? Well, we're picking up right from well, where you are. Well, we're just going to go ahead with his death. There How's that? Go. That sounds good to me. So, Didn't sound good to him, but it, it sounds good right, to me. Right, okay. So, anyway, uh, okay, where am I now? <laughs> Believe me. Yeah, should I give you the physical address of my place <laughs> oh you know ladies and okay, gentlemen well, in all the years that you've done this you've never had this happen ever okay well we're going to go to his burial all, all right, right. good we, we're just going to bury the guy we're going to bury him and go on and here bury go. this all segment right. all right so here we go so they first took the chief and uh, took all of his clothing around him they tied his guns his knives and all of his hunting equipment and relics to the clothing with willow thongs and they tied tossed him into the middle of this big spring, and he quickly went to the bottom. Then the Indians took 18 head of horses. They killed them one by one and rolled them into the spring on top of the chief, and they too, they were out of sight uh, because the spring is said to have no bottom. Now, this burial site is now covered by the American Falls Reservoir. Really? Okay, so... Folks, if you look on the map, you'll see American Falls Reservoir, which is a huge dam that we, that uh, serves all of south, southern Idaho. So in somewhere in there is a spring where Chief Pocatello and 18 horses and all of his stuff is buried in that spring. Don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. <laughs> but uh, there's a guy that said, uh, a judge, he says, as I remember Chief Pocatello, he was 70 years old, about 5 feet 10 inches tall, straight as a sapling, and pretty good-looking man. He was always pleasant, and I have spent many hours talking with him, for he came to see me and my wife, sort of liked us. Sometimes we would stay three or four days and camp a few yards from my house. Now you're giving the impression, and I've got to ask you this, did he speak English? or yeah. He did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh I feel bad I left out a page. But, well, so do I. But, uh, you but, know. But now, wait a minute. I want to ask you this also. Okay. What about his family? Did he have a family? He did, but there's no mention of them. There's really no, uh, of, of, as far as wife and children. But, like, uh, he died in, what did you say, 1880-something, uh, I believe it was? Uh, yeah. 1888 or something? Now that we're trying, 1884. 1884. Okay, so let's take his children from. He died at what? 80 years old. 70. 70. Yeah, 70. Uh, You know, not too far from the turn of the century. Yeah. And how many of his uh, possible family members still reside within the tribe? You know, okay, I'm going to guess that he's got grandchildren. Great grandchildren. Yeah. Great, yeah, grandchildren and great grandchildren living over on the reservation. Yeah. I, in fact, I would love to find out. It if, would be neat to find someone. You know what? I've actually got a source that I may be able to see if I can uh, find some of the descendants of Chief Pocatello. When you look at a story like this, and we've talked about this in the past, with the uh, born here, his mother had the uh, great journey from southeastern Montana back here and everything. How much do you validate as fact? You know, with this story, I validate a lot of it because I have taken this from three different sources. Even though you can't find page four. <laughs> it's, it's right here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I put a lot of credibility into this story really? because of the three sources that I, I have a book about Pocatello, and I got some information from Grouse Creek down there in Utah. 
And do, the, do the modern day tribes, uh, whether they're Shoshonebanics or Apache or Comanche, it doesn't make any difference. Do they really follow their family trees? You know, I, that's a good question. I I think they have a huge tradition of family being very very important in their lives. So fathers, grandfathers. Uh, what kind of grand- documentation do you think they'd have? Uh, Unfortunately, I think most of it is word of mouth, passed really? on by word of yeah. mouth. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could find out about this chief and yes. uh, the background of Pocatello and have maybe a descendant on this program? You know, actually, I think I do have in here that this story that I have told was put together by a great-granddaughter of Pocatello. I'd have to look to see if I've, wow. I've got her name here somewhere. But, yeah, she, uh, as I recall, she, a great-granddaughter is the one that put this together. Was it his tribe or descendants of his tribe that really led the uh, massacre at uh, American Falls, Massacre Rocks? You know, I wondered about that. because. But when you talk about the Shoshone Indians, again, all these different sub-tribes, yeah. I, I'm almost going to guess it's going to be a mixture of Blackfeet as well. Yeah. True. They had to be involved True. in that as well, True. and I think they get they uh, got together, and that's when they said, "Okay, we're going to do something about the the settlers coming." I think across. it would really be a plus for our segment here on Tuesdays if we could find some of the living relatives, whether they're great grandchildren or whatever, that we could maybe call on the phone. You know, I'm going to follow this up because this great granddaughter that wrote this, I'm I may be able to contact her. Oh wow! So that would be fun. Yeah, and I'd like to learn more about how they kept records of their immediate family. Yeah. I'd like to know that. And I would like to know how she got all this information, if it was word of mouth or if somebody did. And I'll bet you a $1,000 check they didn't lose page four. (laughs) (laughs) I've even lost it again. It's here somewhere. (laughs) Oh, well, we didn't need it. Great job, Dr. History. God bless you, man. Oh, oh, one real quick thing. Number one, his name was not Pocatello. Well, what was it then? Toneza. Toneza? He called himself Toneza, meaning buffalo robe. The Pocatello name was likely created by white people because there was no L in the Shoshone language. Okay? So somebody somehow came up with Pocatello. His real name was Toneza. T-O-N-A-I-O-Z-A. Tanoza. And they came up with Pocatello from that? Where did that come from? You're kind of blowing and distorting a lot of good theories here this morning. (laughs) I am. Page four. Page four. Put it away. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate it. You bet.